Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And tonight, grab your tanned fuzzy coats, <laughs> grab your hook, and get your uh, razor blade laden candy, and kill some cops. <laughs> As we dive into Candyman 2021. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. And I was not expecting cops to get killed yeah. in this movie, but it happened. It totally happened. Uh, that was the cherry on top. That was <laughs> the cherry on top. Uh, also, of course, seeing Tony Todd reprise his role was one of the coolest things. You know, I was going to say, and take on gentrification, but killing cops is kind of the same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's part of the process. It is a relevant topic. Process. It actually it's is something relevant. that we'll have to talk about at yeah, some point. They are related, these things. So yeah. just off the top, it's directed by Nia DaCosta. She worked with Jordan Peele as well as Wynn Rosenfield to write the script. And so this has actually been taken up by Jordan Peele and his Monkey Paw Productions. So basically the production company that he owns. And he worked at the Universal to get it distributed. And so he's been working on this for a long time and was kind of bringing her to the front. He's been doing a lot of things to like kind of bring forth black uh, directors and writers as well as other people of color. So this was like his way of giving someone else a chance. And I think he did really well. The The movie itself is, is, is one of the better like spiritual successors or like a sequel yeah. to a movie. I really talk about giving uh, someone a, s- a chance. Go ahead. It's bitch. more, of, I'm sorry. I didn't <laughs> want to interrupt you. It's more of a, it's more of a sequel. I would right, say definitely yeah. like, so if you're going into this thinking, Oh, we're just going to get the Candyman story again yeah, well a, you will but it's a continuation yeah it's of a the newer original. continuation which is really cool i liked the idea that they came up with and showing part of the history um you know as far as nia da costa though this is well it's not like her official debut into film she had made one film before this this is like her first mainstream film so and got taken cool up by a big production put on such a big platform at such a young age she's what like she's 31 30. she's so 31 she she's... got to uh she got offered to direct um the next uh captain marvel movie and it was because of this movie because of the success of this movie and so when she does direct that she's gonna be the youngest director ever to direct a marvel movie yeah we just got back from seeing this in the theater too <laughs> yeah which is Dropped awesome today literally why watched it like a few i don't know like an hour or two ago yeah yeah <laughs> so uh what noting that we actually don't know how well it did in the box office because it literally just came out but it had a budget of 25 million so pretty big for yeah. a movie like this and for for a director that they don't know is going to do well this is like her, her second or third film it's currently certified fresh also certified yeah. fresh it got I a mean, lot of reviews because there's a lot of uh fanatics for people who love candy man this is like I a cult it was classic pretty fresh yeah it's a, i would have given it a higher rating honestly yeah. i would i went into the 90s for it because i liked it so much um this stars uh i don't know how to say the name can you say the name why are you asking me because you're black <laughs> you know i give it a try all right his name is <laughs> his name is yaya abdul mateen the second uh tayana paris nathan stewart jarrett coleman domingo and tony todd of course and so these are going to be your main characters and you're going to find out that uh, there's kind of more to the Candyman story and you find out through like the main d- people who are in it. Oh, yes. I'm a whore for lore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like that should be a new saying. Yeah. Yeah. Also a whore for lore. I actually stole it from a YouTuber. Oh, damn. <laughs> but it's they, still they, beautiful. They make Sims videos. Look up Plumbella. Well, like Sims. I thought you came up with that like 
off the top of your no, head right I'm, now. I'm really, I wish. I'm really happy that they brought back the origin story because that's only Same. in the second and third movie that they explain that shit. Yeah, you don't really get a clear explanation of it in, and in that first Most one. people just watch the first movie because the right. other ones are not as good is what they say. Well, notoriously, sequels are just not very yeah. good. And so in this case, you have one that is really good because I think they waited enough time to, almost, to make almost it. Almost whole 20 years. No, it's like they, 30 years. They yeah. showed good respect to the source material also, of the first yeah, movie. So definitely. it really... It was a very good segue into the rest of the story for sure. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with Tony Todd as well. He was offered to make a new Candyman movie like several times and refused because he didn't think it was either the right time or yeah. the right content. Like at some point they wanted to make a movie where the leprechaun fights him, fights Candyman in okay. a movie. No, but it was I would have like, paid big money to see that. It would have been <laughs> hilarious, but I don't think it would have been. Yeah, it wouldn't have mixed well. It wouldn't. It w I don't think it would have captured the themes yeah. that are present in the first movie because the first movie, especially for that time period, yeah, it's talking about some big shit. Yeah, and then you have fucking Leprechaun yeah. with uh, Which what's is, the girl it, from Friends? Um, who cares? Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> She's in that like really young. It was weird. <laughs> anyway, he turned down a whole bunch, and then he eventually found out that Jordan Peele was interested in making a new movie, and pretty much gave it his blessing, regardless of whether or not he was going to be in the film or not. And I think Jordan Peele is perfect for this because I yeah. feel like Candyman has very political undertones. Oh, overtones. Yeah. Overtones. Um, <laughs> and I feel like Jordan Peele does a really good job about intertwining his scripts and his themes and his ideas in a way that's tasteful you the know? three writers for it which include jordan peele nia DaCosta, and then you have um i think it was uh rosenfield win rosenfield they all those three are like the perfect ones to write this story together and it's really cool when people come collaboratively to write something you get with whenever Peele works on something with other especially people. with these with these other people as well you're getting a really good mix of dark kills really funny as fuck kills and also some really just interestingly shot ones as well right uh, he played with paranoia really or they rather the the group of them uh paid uh played very well with paranoia similar to like how um it follows does because every time there's a oh, mirror yeah. in, the, in the film you're like holy shit he's gonna be in the fucking mirror he's gonna Ooh. be the fuck you're always checking the mirrors and shit can we please talk about perspective on the kills too yeah, yeah. Like, yeah that's what i've never about. seen Definitely. Well, I've seen it before, but I haven't seen very many like far away shot kills. Like that one art critic, oh, with the critic that dies yeah. in her apartment. And as you're panning out away from the apartment, you see her. Like, you can rise almost into the miss air. it if you don't yeah, look directly you, in the middle. You can see into the windows of all the apartments. Yeah. So you just happen to maybe notice that. Then one. you see her blood smeared all over Dude, the he window. He fucking dragged her face across yeah. the yeah. entire length of the fucking window <laughs> before dropping her, and you're just like, oh fuck. But I mean, you know, you didn't really like her anyway. <laughs> she was, I, was a snobby. She bitch. was very you know, snobby. You, one of my, I think my favorite scene though was with the hand mirror in the girl's bathroom. Yes, oh. this, is, this is really good because uh, you don't even really yeah. see it until you no. see it. Um, yeah. Someone actually commented on that. So, uh, so Roger Ebert, uh, there's a Roger Ebert site where people go and write reviews for it, and so uh, Odie Henderson wrote the review that says uh, DaCosta's visual style, writing that she stages the kill scenes with a mix of pitch black humor, misdirection, and clever framing, fully acknowledging that what you don't see or think you saw can be a lot worse than what you did see. 
that fear of the unknown shit <laughs> also is so real which we've discussed before a lot many many times but it's very effective in horror in general that just makes me think of the one thing like how this movie started already sort of put me on edge when yeah you we have already all have. of the um you know you show the production companies that made the film at the very start all of their logos were flipped in reverse Ooh, and so yeah. i was like is this a mistake like is something wrong and then i was sort of sitting there waiting to figure out if what i was seeing was what i was supposed to be seeing yeah. And then eventually you figure out that they did that purposefully, but that already sort of sets the anxious tone for the rest of the movie. Yeah, they they throw you off right at the beginning, and I had well, what what did you think the reason was for it? Because you mentioned something about the mirrors. Well, yeah, they talk a lot about mirrors and how basically he sort of exists in this alternate space. You know, and so automatically you have things flipped in the beginning, putting you in the mirror. And then as you come into view of the movie, you're looking into a boy's mirror and then you pan out and you're looking back to the mirror. So you're like in the mirror, in this alternate world automatically. recently got a shirt for like Candyman, the original 1992 version. And I looked at it. I'm like, they printed this thing fucking backwards, dude. Oh, that's I was dope. so pissed. I was like, oh, time to take a mirror selfie. And I was like, and it oh, turns out they're fucking geniuses, yeah. dude. I was like, oh my God. That's clever so, marketing. So when they did the, the thing, I was just like, oh, that's cute. They really, they like called back to it. But then I was like, oh, they're going to do it for all of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had taken it as one like what justine has said about the mirror but also that in a way we were sort of becoming a part of the story too because the main theme of the Candyman story was that as soon as people figured out about him they start talking more about him the chances of him killing you got like exponentially higher and so you then got brought into the story and then got into that cycle of what ends up being that story even if it's willingly or exactly they're unwillingly taking you into the story because now you know about him it's yeah. that meta meta shit. Like that that general meta, vibe. Meta. And this is what yeah. a lot of good horror movies do is yeah. they kind of sit there for a little bit and kind of meander around the characters and establish yeah. all of them and everything. Uh, but it really captured the vibe of the of the ninety two version as well, because it's just sort of like, okay, so you're gonna meet who the people are who are involved, and then you're gonna get the legend. Yeah. And then I like how they establish it where it's the it's the um the one friend or it's it's her brother. It's her brother, yeah, it's who the tells the story. Brother. Uh, I'm glad they didn't waste any time. Yeah, the script I think was well paced. Um, I didn't think it was rushed because I, I already wanted to get into the story. That's what everyone felt about the story. We know the story of Candyman, so we're like, "What is this? What's the new story?" And so then you kind of get like immediately into the fact that he's like basically changing into him, and you get a really cool like change and progression of him. And then I think you mentioned it while we were watching it. Uh, it seems that all of the people who play Candyman or who turned into him, they're all painters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, artists. This in some ended sense. up. They were an artist, and then the critic even comments about how artists are sort of contributing in some way to the gentrification. Like that was her snide remark yeah. to him. Oh and my so god! So you then have well, you would mistake it for racism to start, but then you find out that she's just being condescending, and you're like, I don't know I which mean, one's probably worse. Probably a little racist, <laughs> right? But- Definitely she condescending. Says, oh, cause... you're kind or yeah. like that. And I was just like, oh, fuck. I know. They, they, yeah. they do the this whole, multiple times in the movie. The whole theater murmur, murmur, murmur. <laughs> yeah, we were really like a lot of people do that. They did a really good job of getting the idea of microaggressions down. Like how oh, yeah. people will say things to you that are sort of a backhanded thing that you're uh, like, are you commenting on 
like a certain piece of like my own heritage while also giving you a compliment. That's another thing I just thought about is microaggressions because I feel like sort of a, a running theme in this movie was that this guy was aware of something happening, but people kind of didn't really believe him because it was just like also these little that. things. And a lot of times I find that when I'm experiencing aggression from somebody in the form of microaggressions, they're so small that if you tell somebody, they're just going to be like, oh, like you're kind of crazy. Like I'm sure nothing actually happened. I'm sure they didn't mean it that way. I mean, this is this is definitely one of I'm just mentioning like this is one of Peel's strong suits that we see through um, Get Out and that we also saw in Us a little bit as well. If I remember correctly, Us was a lot more cerebral and a lot more abstract, I think, in what it was right. portraying. Um, but especially in, in uh, Get Out a lot, we saw a lot of that similar things. And I think he does really well at portraying those very accurately. You know, I saw I saw Virginia Madsen and fucking Anthony, dude. I saw I saw her coming out in him just like because he has the camera in the beginning of the movie and he's like trying to like uncover this hidden legend. I think one of my favorite characters is the the laundromat owner. Like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. For sure. Like you you feel a connection to him from like the old movie, um, even though he was just a, a passerby in Cabrini Green, which is like what is it? it's like a very low income housing i don't know i feel like him being there was almost like prophesized because you know that this main character i believe he was the baby yeah that was brought That's, to the fire in the yeah, first story you, you discover that there's more to the origin story and that he's a he's a lot closer to it than he originally and then thought. you have this guy who just happens to be at the same place he is and tells him all about Candyman. This guy starts to go crazy and is painting him everywhere and is just obsessed with learning more about the story. And in the end, this man turns him into Candyman pretty yeah. much. He gives him the hook and the jacket. Right. And he says that uh, because of like the the way that gentrification has happened in those areas, there is a need for a Candyman. There's a need for people to be afraid of these legends. So Yeah. He has a really strong moment when he's talking to him in the laundromat when Anthony is like freaked out and goes and talks to him that one night and he tells him, uh, it's not one person. It, this is like how we deal with the cyclical nature of violence happening in yeah. our communities. And it this is what it turns into, turned into this entity yeah. that then haunts not only us, but everyone around us and sort of ends up being, but then it like changes. It changes at the end because it sort of turns into something that protects. He straight up protects his girlfriend. Like, even though she's the one who summoned him, he doesn't kill her. Yeah. yeah. And so I mean, he then was given sort of, like, directives before he was transformed right. into Candyman. He was told that this is what Candyman is for, and he, like, understood. Like, oh, that's a job, good point. You know? he, it could be that while people, while this is happening, it is possible to sort of, like, set rules that he's supposed to follow. And in this case, he is meant to take like kind of take care of people who obviously yeah. are not good people because the the essence of Candyman is kind of ritualistic you know you go into right. the mirror say his name five times and he appears i mean what else do you know about that like bloody mary that's like a fun <laughs> yeah, exactly. ritual game people like to do and so in this case he just took it a step further took his hand gave him the hook gave him the coat and gave him his directives and, and he then had, he was oh. shot down and <laughs> Resummoned as Candyman, who is that this was now like, like neighborhood yeah. vigilante dude. That struck me like really hard. I was like, oh, well, this got like really close to home all of a sudden yeah. when like you see him just get immediately shot, like no questions asked. I thought the chick got shot. Also. I thought I, I thought, thought so they both too. did. Yeah, and I was like, oh fuck. And then that chilling moment when she's in the car with the detective or whatever, and he's like, okay, so here's the two stories you can go with. Right. Neither of them are close to the truth. But no. one gives her a little bit of a better life. <laughs> I think one of the most clever things uh, with this is that all the lore is 
depicted through puppetry. Oh, yeah. and it's so and good. Amazing puppetry work. I need to figure out who did that because they, I need to give them props for it's everything. It's got to be one of the production designers who's on the film, like them and probably a team. Cause like you just don't see a, this kind of stuff. And maybe think of Harry Potter in the, Oh yeah. That's a good point. What was the last one? The half blood. No, the, the, Deadly Hollows. Deathly Hollows. Deathly mm. Hollows. Oh my God, it's been years. <laughs> um, but they had, you know, the moment where they're explaining who Death was and yes. how he made the oh yeah, that's right, the Horcrux, the Shroud, and all the other and stuff, and the wand, and then the stone, mm-hmm. and that was done through puppetry as well, or some yeah. something similar to it. Which um, is like the only other time I've seen it done like really well. Um, I can't think of any others uh, when they did something like that. Uh, it always ends up being something that works really well. Because it reverts to sort of like the simplest form of storytelling. Didn't they do that right. in the Babadook? They did they it did. in the Babadook. Yeah. Right. Well, they did it through sort of like a, a picture book. Yeah, a pop-up book. A it's pop-up a little bit book. different, but they, they still um, have this paper figures. Something about that, though, really gets people. Like when you sort of show something that can easily be shown to like children. And the fact that it's so dark kind it, of fucks yeah, with you. Yeah, so I mean, cynical. a lot of children's stories are dark when you get yeah, to the essence of them. Yeah, that's true, actually. There's a lot of them. This makes me think of like the Ring Around the Rosie song. Oh, yeah. Which is literally talking about like the Black Death, <laughs> and I mean all of the Disney princess stories are also Disneyfied like significantly. Like Sleeping Beauty, yeah, the real story of Sleeping Beauty, it's fucking terrible. Look it up. Anyways, also the Hunchback of Notre Dame is also yeah. a terrible story. I would like to say my favorite piece of puppetry was when uh, they explain the origin of Candyman, and they say that a lynch mob. Is going to yeah because uh because you know it's told he was a painter, fell in love with a rich uh, white woman and got she her. She fell in love with him. Oh yep, that's actually what happened. <laughs> yeah, I they think, fell in love. I think they fell in love with each other. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like a so one-sided thing. <laughs> he got her pregnant, therefore they sent a lynch mob at him. Yeah. But right when that happens, they cut back to Anthony and there's a siren that goes right past. So, so it kind of just shows you the different generation of Ooh. what a lynch mob was. Yeah, the, the lynch like mob that. is no longer a bunch of town villagers. It's, it's the, the boys in blue with their badges and their bright lights on their car. Yeah. yeah. That's they're, the real lynch and mob And tasers today. that just look like guns. But and they're guns <laughs> that are actual guns. Yeah, right. Um, what the, so and they're fucking knees anyways. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me think about when he was visiting the library and he's listening to what the original woman had to say about why Candyman was created in the first place. That was actually like a really good audio bit to include at that moment. Oh, with Virginia Madsen. Yeah, where she's talking about how it was sort of a necessity to create this sort of urban legend around this area. And then they even comment to, like, on it with later. the fact that all that violence is happening in the exactly. city. Exactly. And then uh, I think I think it's his girlfriend who mentions that, uh, you know, it was certain people who had made the the projects, who had made the ghetto there, and then they wanted to get rid of it this, because they had made the ghetto. And it's like they didn't, like, it was sort of a thing that they wanted to cover up and change. So then, yeah. you, of course, you gentrify it. And so that was one of the, that was like the biggest overtone for all of it. And then underneath that, you have a lot of different layers of what they're talking about, Mm -hmm. which includes, you know, how people are dealing with like their lives within this community. And then, so you have all these kind of unfold for you. The laundromat owner even says like, you have tons of people dying in these streets that are black, but as soon as one white woman dies, (laughs) then it it makes a fucking story. Yeah. Yeah, That story kind of keeps getting told and the story is not even told correctly. No, they're told that she kidnapped the baby, went crazy she, she and tried to dog. burn it when it's the opposite. Yeah, that she had actually saved the baby. And then, of course, you have the nice tie in where he's the baby, where Anthony's the baby. And then he's sort of destined to be the new candy man. And so you have this sort of repeating 
thing that keeps happening throughout the film. And you don't realize it at first until you get all the way to the end and they do the puppetry scene and you realize, oh, Candyman's a repeating thing. Yeah. It always has to be a certain situation or circumstances that happens. It's very, it's very smart because they, they describe three different names of people from past generations, right. 1800s, 1900s, 2000s and all that. Anthony is just the new newest Candyman. Even so that she practices it on the cop who is trying to persuade her to yeah, say the wrong narrative. Yeah, she immediately knows that she could do it. And I think she took a risk. I think she kind of knew that there was a possibility that she might die and wanted to do it anyway. I mean, I feel like at that point, dying is better than the options she was given. Right. And so she, she either yeah. lives with the guilt of pinning this sort of persona slash crime on these two men, or she goes to jail for the rest of her life. The fourth time that she says Candyman, she's smiling. Right. She starts to smile. So she's just like, even if I die after this, all these motherfuckers are going down. Yeah, they're all going to die. It's going to be sick as fuck. <laughs> my, my, favorite par- my favorite part with that, too, is the cop goes, Candyman? Question mark? And she's like, oh, he did it for me. Uh, yeah, also. Yeah. Ooh, oh, wait. So this made me think, too, is that technically speaking, I wonder if there is rules saying, like, whoever says the last one may be the one who gets killed. Yeah, because she only said it four times. Yeah. And also, I think it happens earlier in the film where someone only says it a certain amount of times and then someone else says it. And then you have the, you know, the, him coming in to kill people. So Ooh. it's like, there are so many fucking things with, I mean, yeah. with, the, uh, with the explanation they go into in the story. I know that we wanted to, at least while we were watching it, like um, some, some people, I know John, you were saying this, um, that you wanted to get right into the, the right. grit of the story instead of getting the backstory on it. But I think there are plenty of younger people now who have never seen. Yeah, they don't know what it is. OG Candyman. And now, like, this kind of is a good segue for them to kind of get in the story. They do it fairly briefly, and they give you just enough so that you know what's going on. And then all the – I mean, the callbacks to the original are wonderful also, exactly, because they're related, but I I, I loved hearing that. So you have, like, the old recordings and stuff. You have – That is, like, one of the best ways to include something that was made previously is to get the actual audio. Or to get something that happened before, and so in this way, they're doing, they're paying a lot of respect to the original content while also making this new piece of it oh, and shit, adding she on really to it. That, dog. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny though. That one made me laugh. There was there was a lot of humor tied into it, and it was at really good opportune moments that like kind of caught you off guard. And it's like you would have a moment like when she goes into the laundry room, and like there's a dark stairway down and then she opens the door and goes nope and just oh closes it Yo, they were straight up favorite. like people fucking cheering for that shit yeah because it's, it's, <laughs> the, it's the opposite of what you see in horror film you know you've you got these people who are like oh wow scary basement let me go take a look what's you down know, here i just love how many jokes have been made about horror movies and they're like black people would never yes like there's that one line where they're talking about summoning candy man and uh the one character was like oh no black people don't summon nothing <laughs> like, oh yeah no, we, we don't have any business summoning uh. <laughs> oh my god but it's true like if you don't know what you're summoning don't summon it <laughs> it's, it's true okay if you see a dark stairway and things are already kind of creepy don't go down it hey props to the one chick in high school who was just like ran i out. ain't doing this shit she said I not today like, and out. ran out <laughs> i'm pretty sure she was like the one asian girl yes. out of the group too 
Asian people know too. <laughs> yeah. Don't fuck with that. Not shit. today. No. Nope. But poor girl who was in the stall who just gets traumatized. I know. <laughs> she already looked moment. like she was having some sort yeah, of Yeah, she's getting attack. bullied by these and girls. And she's also getting bullied by them. She's fucked up. So not hey, having a good day. And now she's potentially an accomplice to murder. Also, oh. yeah. Because yeah. it's like, what happened? I mean, you were in there. Didn't you see anything? I You're think like, that I, was. I don't know what I saw. I think that was part of the point, though, is that they wanted to create a possibility of the story being misinterpreted again. Like, they had multiple moments of where people do not understand what truly happened in the story. Like, even when um, Anthony's at the critic's house yeah. and he knows that he's there, he's like, I got to go. Because well, he, like, he might be blamed for that. And whoever survives usually is the one who gets blamed. I mean, Anthony was blamed right. for all of the murders because they were related to the painting that he uh, yeah. released or the, the series of paintings that he made. A bit and, of dark um, comedy when he's just like, they said my name. That happened throughout <laughs> with uh, the Candyman stories. You have yeah. the uh, 80s slash 90s Candyman where they thought that he was putting razor blades in candy when it turned out it wasn't him. But he was still blamed for it because he happened to be close to what the crime was, you know. Dude, that one hurt because he was just an old man trying to give people candy. Yeah. Yeah, so th- it turns out that he's actually harmless. But then it makes you wonder where the hell did the razor blades come from? Right. In this candy because it happened multiple times. Yeah. So it's like, you know, who was actually doing that and why did it end up happening there? But what what you guys made me think of was uh, you had mentioned it right at the beginning is they had really clever framing of what you're looking at. Multiple views, views through a mirror. They use the mirror like reflection off of something else. So you never got to really see Candyman directly until the very end. She's technically invisible. Yeah, technically invisible. So it makes you wonder how she was able to see him at the end. Well, only I, the ooh, summoner is able to see this, them. It could be that too. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that the original is also a little different because they have some more uh, practical effects in it. And yeah, things like that too. Like my one complaint is there was no bloody rib cage. Yeah, he didn't open up his oh, shirt or vest just, yeah, to see exactly. everything. And I was like, I was like, come on, that's like one of the things that made that character so like 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 kind of terrifying as well because you're like, this is like a some strange i don't know bizarre and yeah they handled violence in a weird way at least i thought so like the beginning you sort of get like a a non-direct view of what's happening yeah and then 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 you get up right to the end where he just saws his arm off like no warning like really unceremoniously cuts off his arm and you're just like oh he's going for it dead dude his ass like just (laughs) and then just shoves the fucking hook into his arm and you're just like oh my god you see these silent tears come from his eyes yeah he doesn't even like freak out no it doesn't flinch yeah so what's supposed to happen yeah right (laughs) this was something i actually really enjoyed about this film because i'm not one for gore especially movies that are just all gore like that's the whole point of it but this movie had a nice blend of like really gross gory scenes as well as a lot of psychological horror yeah the things that you thought you saw reflections of things double like you check yourself and be like no i didn't actually see something and then he looks again and it's there he's standing behind him he's standing behind the woman the critic he's like he always shows up he showed up so fast in the movie like literally like i don't know 10 15 minutes in you see him already in the mirror and then you're just waiting to see him wherever else he shows up i think they they play with the um the summoning a lot more in this film than the original one too so and that was really good too because that kind of like uh, cements it a lot more yeah it solidifies the lore that's sort of established throughout the movie about who and what Candyman is. Right. I To me, that sort of felt like they were uh, pressing home the point that uh, the violence that happens to anybody who summons him, it doesn't matter who it is. If you're within the area and you have these certain things happen to you, then you'll get killed. 
all the same. And so this is, they're making a point of like, you know, even the people who are trying to assist and enter into say like the ghetto area or the project are trying to help. Oftentimes they may be part of the violence that happens there. And so there are cases. Yeah. yeah, They're making a point to be like, even the allies of people who are assisting here are going to be brought into this violence. And then anyone else who looks in and sees it, it's a misinterpretation no matter what you're looking at because they don't know what actually happened. And so they keep doing this over and over again. And that's sort of the, the theme that they run with and sort of their way of like tying it into whatever's happening now, like sort of a modern take on it. But that it, they didn't, I don't think they pushed past the point of it being like, this is too obvious. Like this is too on the nose with things. And they even made a joke on themselves where they, yeah. where the critic comments about the artists being the ones that may be possibly um, feeding into the gentrification that happens because of their artwork, because of what they represent. I mean, yeah. just look at, the neighborhood that we're in right now, mm. uh, North Park, is like a big arts community. And uh, not too long ago, you know, it was just sort of like a bunch of shops and houses. It was more of a low-income area. And since all of these art studios and breweries and whatnot, little knick-knack shops have started popping up, suddenly the rent starts to go up. They pay more attention to the streets and clean them up and make them look all nice and pretty. And then you have all these white people start to move in in um, a once like predominantly yeah. POC area. Then, then you need cops to patrol the area, yeah, right? Yeah, you have more cops that are coming through. Yeah, patrol They're, the area. They got to keep you in. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. The, that was one the, the big one. Also, they'll promise you a Whole Foods eventually. God, that was okay. So there is a Whole Foods down the street. <laughs> there really is a Whole Foods down the street from here. Um, he kind of took back a moment from her when he was just like, "Oh, well, you're suddenly interested in my work." And they made a they made a point too to show it with his girlfriend, where a lot of the times people are brought into certain situations because of their connection to things that have happened to them, and they are no longer doing it on their merit, but on the things that have happened to them. It's interesting that she becomes interested in his work as soon as a couple of white people die. Yeah, around his artwork. So exactly. Pull back to that joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they joke. all. Yeah, they like, definitely. Oh, do. it's so morbid. <laughs> Oh, she uh, says, this will sell for sure. <laughs> oh God! What she says? She says it's macabre, and that is it. What did yeah. she say? It ends up being something that's like real, like or something that like uh, she can feel. It's like contemporary or something like that. And you're just like, ooh. Yeah, I've always felt like that's sort of a lot of people's appeal to understanding what it's like to grow up in these sort of neighborhoods is like trying to understand the violence that you don't grow up with, and then to see two white folks experience the violence that well maybe not in that manner per se but still experiencing violence it makes it become much more um, tangible um also it should be noted that his girlfriend doesn't really seem to have a huge response to it and so in a way she's almost be been like uh like desensitized yeah. to what's been happening even though she had like an obviously traumatic event happen when she was younger <laughs> yeah. in, in the form of her dad just jumping off the fucking top floor of their house. Yeah. Killing himself. Yeah. I mean that, I mean, seeing that probably pushed her away from that community in the first place. She's like, well, I need to do something better. I can't That's be true. involved in because her father was also an artist. Yeah. So it's kind of like, a, I need to kind of push myself away yet. She's still drawn to it. Yeah. In a sense, probably like if you wanted to psychoanalyze this, it could be like, I wanted to be closer to what my father was a part of, but I also want to be separate from my part. Well, she part ended up finding weird... a partner who's just like her dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's just yeah. like, you end up having that, that thing that people always mention where you're sort of looking for these things in people. And so in this case, the same thing happens. It also makes you think about the lore of it, where she was almost meant to be drawn to somebody like in another time, I bet her dad 
would have fit right into the role of being Candyman. But in this case, it was her boyfriend. And it's just because of those circumstances. I'm just thinking about all the shade that that one chick threw at her. It's like, oh yeah, yeah you're a tor- you're a tortured past, you know. Oh my! Oh, the uh, fucking curator. Yeah, was, at the museum. Yeah. Oh my god. She was basically being like, oh, you're you. We need to have you here because of what's happened to you, and it's no longer about her merit. That like, she's not a good curator she's not a good like what at her job yeah. it's because of what's happening yeah you poor thing oh, is essentially what it what's in a lot of cases this chance. is what You're makes so certain artists you. become famous right like here's a classic example is van gogh no oh, one gave a yeah. shit about van he gogh he was poor <laughs> like his paintings did not sell and eventually he killed himself and it wasn't until after or he died i can't remember if he killed himself or he died because i remember something sure about eating himself. lead paint made him go crazy i can't remember but anyways cut off his ear sent it to his yeah lost love but uh after he had died then his paintings start to blow up because now you have this really sad backstory of this tortured man gone insane but look at this great artwork he did yep <laughs> july wait yeah on july 27th 1890 in a field near avarice vincent shot himself in the chest with a revolver shit he died two days later with his brother theo at his bedside damn you know it's not related at all, but I watched a long time ago a Doctor Who episode where, like, oh man, vi- like she uh, takes the Van Gogh one. Yeah, she takes yeah. Vincent Van yeah, Gogh to go see that show. Bowling. She's like, my paintings don't sell. I suck. And she's like, well, look. And he's in a museum. She's showing off his works, and like, probably changed history a little bit. But you know, yeah. it was hard to watch that scene. Yeah. It was really hard. But it made me just- cry. <laughs> This movie exemplified how a lot of artists don't really matter until you have that backstory behind their art. It's so, or at it, least behind the person making it. I mean, it talks a lot about like the tortured soul of an artist. I mean, think about it. All the candy men were artists. Okay, but am I the only one? So this is this might people might get upset about it, but Anthony's artwork, his his initial artwork, it kind of sucked. Yeah. Like looking at it, I was like, this isn't really that good. Like, oh, which one? The first one? Well, the stuff on the wall. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if all of it was his, but like the stuff on the wall and then like that first one he does, I'm like, this is pretty bad. Like, I, if I was like somebody who was going to curate a show, I'd be like, ooh, I don't know about that one. But then the ones he makes after are oh, yeah. fucked up. They're, these are like some like really morbid, yeah. like austere things that you're looking at and you're just like, oh, this is like what you'd want to put up. And, and I don't know if it was just me, but I was like, I, I no, I felt kind the same agree. way. I felt the paintings that he made when he was like descending into his madness are fucking brilliant. Yeah, they were but fucked up. But the first up. ones are like some weird like pop art kind of half Yeah. Like, it eh. looks like when you use like stencils and stuff like, yeah. to make something. It looked like something like a, a middle schooler would make for their art show. I think I'm just <laughs> a fan of when people do paintings that have the like the obvious uh like texture on it. Yeah. yeah. You see from like the brush strokes and like so much paint being put onto it. Yeah, you just see that David Cho style. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. So. Even though it's not his style, but I recognize you it know. <laughs> as David Cho's style. Welcome to art critique with the Grindhouse. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> and someone's gonna be like, no, it's from the sixteen hundreds and you're uncultured and <laughs> then I'll tell them Do fuck your off. research. You sound stoned and uneducated. Uh, Anyone remember that comment? Hey truth be told, we are stoned and uneducated. No, I'm just oh my kidding. God. <laughs> That was great. No, we're just stoned, but we're educated. Slightly. Right? <laughs> well, half of us are. Mr. Degree ah, Man, tell me good things. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm criticizing artwork. Yeah. Well, no, there's... there's That's what we're doing right now. There's that one painting where it's like half of Tony Todd's face and half of Anthony's oh, so face good. Mor- like morphed into each other. Yeah. 
So so while you're si- while you're talking about this, we we have to talk about what did you guys think about his transformation? It was Do you think cool. it was well done? Like, cause the fucking him picking at his skin on his arm fucked me up. Uh, like him, like yeah. literally pulling some skin off, and he's like deteriorating basically. I love how it starts with the bee sting. Also yeah. starts with the bee sting, which you think is not really going to be a big thing, but I guess if you're like if you know that bees are sort of connected with him, you're like, oh, this is not going to be good. I kind of like that it came from a bee sting because I feel like the whole him transforming into Candyman was sort of like the bug thing, the allusion to metamorphosis. A lot of bugs go through like a major change. That's a good one. They go from little goopy larva to whatever sort of bug they turn into, whether it's a a hornet, a bee, a butterfly, anything like that. But you see, yeah, he starts to shed his skin, but he's also growing this new thing underneath his skin. And then you see his torso and it's all porous but it also kind of looked like a honeycomb yeah i was yeah. gonna say that There's he looked the, like he could have bees inside of him the illusion to the hive that Candyman is essentially like a hive mind since there's Collection so many things, different yeah. souls that are contributing to it but it's all under the same spirit you know this calls back to his mother because she's like yes there was an unwritten code and i guess someone broke it and that was you yeah, yeah basically fuck. basically uh, it sucks that it ends up being him because yeah. he, he, he so if he had never mentioned it, he would have been fine. <laughs> like, he would have never... Oh, actually, who who was it that brought it up? It was the laundromat owner. Oh, yeah, that's right. He specifically told him. And so, in a way, it's, like, really purposeful. Because yep. he's, like, he knew from the start that he was going to turn him in to, to, to the new candy man. So, you're just like, oh, he's, like, he's already fucking crazy. <laughs> and so, you then have this whole transformation happen. So, then, uh, do you guys think it ended well? Like, is it left kind of open? Like, is this another cycle? His deep voice monologue before killing cops, oh, I love dude. It. it sent chills. I was so he's happy. Like, he's like, they're going to say that they killed innocent people, that we spilled the blood of innocent people, but these people are far from innocent. I thought he was going to say the actual quote from the beginning yeah, of the first movie. I thought so, too. But I was like, no, he's doing his own thing. This is so sick. Then she finally sees him, the Tony Todd version, and he's like, I want you to tell everyone. <laughs> like, everyone needs to know who Candyman is, and it's such a great line for him at the end. I thought that was interesting because it kind of further feeds into the idea that Candyman is this sort of entity thing. Because yeah. in a lot of cases, when you are thinking about an entity and you are calling upon it, you give it more power. And so yep. he's essentially wanting to get more power so he can do more you know more people are calling upon him he's able to enact his vengeance oh yeah even you. by having the movie come out yeah you're sort of having a resurgence this entire time because we talked about that with the wenda bagels yeah, yeah. oh my god we saw the preview for oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. it looks disturbing and i'm excited i'm really, I'm really <laughs> yo did you get a it. glimpse of that fucking creature the arm. Oh, or the corpse and the twisting corpse. Uh, yeah it i can't believe like they showed yeah. that in yeah, the preview so. my the favorite- preview is brutal <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought yeah imagine how the rest of the movie Ooh, is but God. still that that uh even in the trailer of the antlers I thought this was just a myth. Yeah, to you. Yeah. That so was that good. even calls back to now with Candyman. Um, I couldn't tell in the preview if it was like if they were just speaking a different language, but it sounded like native people from Native America speaking 
like their language over the preview yeah and it like that. and it gets more like faster as it's going and i was like this is really unsettling yeah it's cool that they added that element in because i feel like that often gets lost in these wendy bagel stories <laughs> is the fact that like the natives to the land knew about these things for years hundreds of years maybe they know how to deal with it they know what to call it they know where it comes from All right. and i'm glad they actually incorporated that because a lot of these folks that have colonize those areas don't really know what these things are i'm until so they glad it's somebody. uh guillermo lotoro yeah doing the story because i know he's like basically like proved himself to be a really really good interpreter of stories and to make it like really good for the screen so did you guys have any favorite parts or your favorite scene from this movie the it. bathroom scene with all the high school girls. Yeah, uh, that shit was uh, lit. <laughs> hey, these are very believable high school girls. I will give yeah. that. Also, yeah, oh, it didn't you, seem. I like... gotta go grab my vape. Like I was like, oh okay. shit, so funny. <laughs> They're very believable for this day and age. That's like, what I'm saying. They don't look like high school girls from the fucking early 2000s. You all know what those look like. Everyone knows what that looks like. These look like real high school. <laughs> They're like, don't be a pussy. I know it's warm and like strong and powerful. <laughs> Why I was not? like. This is like so modernized. It like uh, I was like, yeah. dang, they actually got like they funny. got that pretty well. But the the scene where like you see the blood just burr. <laughs> that it, it was like I don't know. It was just oh dripping it's very slowly. Whoever did the sound design <laughs> is fucked up because they gave you disturbing sounds while you're listening. God, to this the film. sound effects while the dude's getting his fucking hand sawed off. That oh. sent me. Oh <laughs> my god! Gotta give props to the Foley guy. Yeah, the holy Foley shit! Foley guy gets an A plus, ten out of ten. Oh my god, he's like sawing through a carrot or something <laughs> to make the like, sound. I think for like breaking bones and stuff, they'll take they'll take uh they will take um. Celery. Celery, yeah. <laughs> it in front of the mic because so it just creates that. Like, shove some celery yeah. and some meat. They'll get a few of... stalks of celery and snap it. Uh, okay, I, th I think my favorite scene from the movie was uh, the art critic getting killed in her apartment. Brutal. I just love that moment so much. How it's so subtle, but like, oh, when you see it, you see it. And it's, it's, it's really unsettling. This whole movie is unsettling. But that's just one of the many things that makes it so unsettling is sort of this unknown but also this like distance from knowing what's really happening because you know you can't see her face you can't see anything else that's happening you just know what's happening they did a good job of not using your typical jump scare tactics that they use in horror yeah. films and instead went with the idea that they were not going to prep you at all they were just going to go right into whatever violence happens and then you're shocked either by what you're seeing or what you're hearing. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I agree. Uh, <laughs> high, and I liked that a lot about yeah, this movie. Yeah, it works no really well. loud noise, jump scare bullshit, which takes me out of movies usually. The only that. thing that was sort of a loud scare was the gunshots at the end, but yeah. I think that was also purposeful. Right. I think my favorite scene is uh, when the laundromat owner is in the church. Ooh. And you see, like, sweets for the soul or whatever it says. Yeah. Um, and he goes, you could change the myth however you want, but some things have to stay the same as he takes the hook out and everything. Yeah, which is also giving you the idea that, like, oh, yeah, in, in a lot of ways, they've changed sort of the lore and the mythos of, of what Candyman is. I don't know the name of the actor. I swear I've heard his voice somewhere before. The laundromat guy? The laundromat yeah. guy, yeah. But his that whole scene it was so good, like because it's just a total shift in character for him as well. Because he's I used just to the go, storyteller. I used to go to your church all the time. Now a lot of things have changed. <laughs> it's so good. I also give props to full 
like full shot of someone sawing their stuff off. Because, uh, yeah, I, I want to know if directors are ever going to full send it. Because they like to do it off screen. I'm like, are you going to fucking full send it, bro? Dog, this ain't saw. And when they full send it, it makes me happy. Because I'm like, oh, they're going to make some people squirm with that. Also, his fucking arm is disgusting, dude. It's like, yeah, they did a good job of showing you the like the eventual degradation of his fucking arm. And you're just like, oh, this is awful. But yeah, that was my favorite scene. I feel this is like an Evil Dead 2 reference because like corruption yeah. through the hand right. and stuff like that. So it's like a it's like a fun little like, hey, I like that movie. Dude, that, <laughs> the, the, the guy who, who plays the laundromat owner, uh, Coleman Domingo, he's in a lot of stuff, like a ridiculous amount of TV shows uh, and quite a few movies, always as a secondary character. Yeah, I, I believe he's like, he does a lot of voice acting. Yeah, he's done a lot of voice acting, which is pretty cool. So the voice is probably familiar. You probably heard it in like a, a animation or something. Yeah. Um, wh- I think my favorite scene has to be the the ending one. Uh, you get a, a a voice alteration that happens with uh, Anthony's character, who then turns into the Candyman, and then you get the idea that he's sort of not alone. That it's sort of a culmination of all of them when you see Tony Todd's version of it. And I'm so glad that they gave him the final line of the movie because you're just like this is such a great like respectable like (laughs) pay your respects to whoever created this character and it's him like he's kind of represented that character for such a long time and so to bring him into the film is is really cool that they did that instead of like taking him completely out of it and like making something new and so yeah shout out to the ending credits sit in your seat for that one yeah Yeah. uh, i don't know why so many people left uh i think they didn't realize what the story was gonna be i pity them (laughs) it was so good you get a you get a a a a last puppet show that kind of explains more about the lore and you definitely should sit and watch the rest of it you see all three or four generations of candy man yeah it kind of gives you the idea of like how did this happen why did it keep happening and then then they end it with the giant shot of like the, the four candy men. Yes. And then you just see shadows of hundreds of them behind them. Yeah. I think for it's, more like, to it's come. obviously going to continue. Um, and I, I do wonder if they will make anything else, but I feel like this is, this should be like kind of the end of it. Like this is like a really good spot to kind of stop it. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause it's going to be tough to, it would be really tough to make this yeah. continue because then you kind of might have like kind of pigeonholed yourself. Right. Cause you're kind of like in the same, Okay, then her baby becomes. Yeah, and then and you, that's yeah. kind of where I would see them going with it. But I'm like, but then you're just kind of. Then again, the they could wait thing, as yeah. much time as they did for this yeah, one, and then make do another the generation. Yes, candy exactly. Man, yeah, yeah. I was about to say because I feel like I had mentioned before, Candyman is very political. Yes, and the way they did this movie definitely alludes to a lot of the things that we talk about nowadays, as far as the political. And so, you know, everything's obviously changing all the time. And in a few years, you're probably going to have a really good story to then transfer into this Candyman universe. True. That's actually a good point. I feel like that would end up working really well for it. Um, do we have final scores then? Nine would, out of ten. Would you rate it? Yeah. Oh, dang. Okay. Yeah. Also, Great I'm fucking on a, I'm, movie. Yeah, not nine out of ten also, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. It's really close to a ten, though. It is it's really close. Yeah, really it's close. like a 9.7 for me. Yeah, honestly. right? Yeah. <laughs> 9.2. Yeah. <laughs> 9.2. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the 9 point something range. <laughs> it's, it still cements the fact that, like, Candyman is my favorite quote-unquote slasher. Nice, yeah. And... There's there, that could probably be psychoanalyzed, but we don't have Dorian here. 
Um, I feel like like the original movie had done, it subverts a lot of what you expected out of a slasher film. Most slasher films, they kill indiscriminately and do not care who it is in front of them. They're usually just going to kill whoever's close to them. In this case, there's rules. And people love rules in their horror films. It sort of gives you the idea that you could survive it. And then you have the idea of like, ah, there's people who are going to survive to the end. There's final girls. There's things like that. So it just plays into what people already love about horror films. And it does it in a different way than what you expected. So I do. I would also give it like a 99.5. I think the only reason I kind of took off just a little bit of it and they do make fun of themselves for it. But I do feel like at some points their political commentary was a little too on the nose. They were like they we've we've heard it before and it could be something that they maybe should keep talking about but it was a little too obvious too, i think too many breaks from action also to there yeah, was a kind of, there, well, yeah. i think that's what you're kind of getting out right bit, yeah it kind know. of took me out of whatever they were talking about like say when he was talking with the critic yeah exactly and yeah. you have this weird like meta moment where they're sort of making fun of themselves because they've created this moment in their own movie <laughs> and the, where they're talking about these things so like they sort of knew it and i think that was sort of the limit of where they pushed it to regardless really good movie and uh, it seems that everybody loves it. It's a huge fan favorite. Anytime, any review I've seen from people who went to see it, love it. And even the critics now are starting to bring in their commentary and they really liked it. Tony motherfucking Todd. Tony Hell yeah. Yeah, check out his voice acting work. He does some good shit. He does really good stuff. He's go, scary. go look at his Instagram. <laughs> he, he's very scary. All right. Grab your coats. All right, let's Preferably walk out. Preferably of the tan variety this time. I Make do have sure a you got your hooks. Yeah. And your hooks. Grab your hooks. <laughs> Get your razor blade candies. Your razor Jeez. blade candies. All right, we're ready to All right, go. Yeah, yeah. Let's de-gentrify this neighborhood, folks. <laughs> wait a second. Wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> cops now. All right, Mitch, but you're killing the cops, all right? Okay. Oh, my God. Oh. I love how he's like, okay. <laughs> don't, There's don't a chance they won't shoot you as oh fast as you doing it. Yeah. They won't see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, did that yeah. white man just attack a cop? No, it must have been that Shit. black person all the way over there. I, before we walk out, this reminded me of that fucking TV series Woke a little bit. <laughs> it's, yeah. It really did. There were some direct parallels to that. But uh, That's fair enough. It also makes me think of, uh, I don't know, I think it's a meme or a television show where they're like, what are you doing? Guy pulls out a gun, walks outside and shoots into the air like three times. He's uh, like, are you fucking crazy? He's got to keep the rent down. And then he comes back <laughs> in and he's like, oh my God. Caps all around. <laughs> That's great. I love it. It sounds like a shameless thing. It, it does like sound it, like a shameless thing. Shameless. <laughs> all right. So we got our shit. We're going to walk out. Thank you for listening to Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror and media. And first of all, check out our new fucking merch. Yeah. Ooh, the chibi. We're anime. We're chibi. We look adorable. They're on cups. They're on mugs. Not just a cup, Mer. Pint glass. Oh, okay. pint glass. <laughs> Very specific. Shout out to the artist that made the design. Yes, thank yes. you so much. If you have an Instagram, go check out My Halo is Prada. They are a photographer, but they also do artists or artistry as well. They make paintings. Obviously, they made our shirt, which is super cute. It's adorable. Go give them a look. Yeah. And then go check out our Patreon for, for $2 a month. You could check out all the bonus content as well as give us recommendations for movies or other pieces of horror media you want us to review. Also, check us out on all our socials. We have the Facebooks, the Twitters, and the Instagramses. Uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking about these new episodes. And uh, make sure to subscribe to us or follow us, whether it be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And uh, am I forgetting something? You know, I was going to say one thing, 
if you don't do any of that stuff that Mer just said, leave a rating. Also, yeah. yeah. We would appreciate that. Big thing. Yeah, Subscribe big, to big. us. Big thing. Leave a like. Uh, <laughs> this ain't YouTube, but I know discuss, you can do that somewhere in some form. Discuss pit vipers with me. <laughs> Yeah, what are the best pit vipers? Yes. Tell us how much you love the podcast, or how illiterate we are, or how stoned we are, (laughs) or how much you hate the podcast. Well, we love that shit too. But we would love to get some love. Everyone loves love. Yeah. But we accept hate with open arms. Yeah. Come here, we'll give you love. All right, all right. So that's it. That's all I got. That's all our shit. Go check it out. Woo! I'm Mitch. I'm Mer. I'm Justine. I'm Jonathan. Thank you.